Uh, my name is Ben. As I said before, uh, I'm married my wife, Christy. You guys will meet her at some point. And I've got a, a daughter named Ellie. She's three and a half. She's adorable. She's nuts. But it's past her bedtime, so she's not here today. And we just moved from the greater Toronto area. So the church I was at was in Mississauga. I lived in Milton because no one can afford to live in Mississauga. And we moved there. I've been a youth pastor for over 10 years. I was on my 11th year. I've been in full-time ministry for a long time. I've done a lot of church ministry and I'm very excited to be here at Elam. And we just moved. We moved here December 10th. We got possession of our new house. We love it. We love Saskatoon so far, even though it's very, very cold, except for today. Today's beautiful, eh? I got a text from like, uh, one of my friends in Mississauga this morning would be like, it's minus 27 here, but I bet it's way colder where you are. I was like, nope. I'm like, it's like minus two and sunny, and I'm only wearing a sweater. I'm not even wearing a jacket today. And he's like, <laughs> but that's his problem, not mine. I'm like, and real estate here is actually affordable, so like double whammy on them. But we just moved here. We just got home. We moved here December 10th. We got all settled in, and then we decided to fly home for Christmas because we don't know when we're going to do that again, and we went home for Christmas. And now, real quick, how many college students here, like, or you've, you're in college or you've gone through college? A good amount? Awesome. There's one defining moment that I remember from my time in college, and maybe you guys are like me, maybe you're not, but one of the craziest, most awe-inspiring moments of my entire college career was the first time I flew home for Christmas, and I went to my parents' house, and I just opened that pantry of food. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I just stared, and I was like, oh my goodness. This is heaven. This is the greatest moment. And like, now I've got a pantry here. It's never going to be that full and that good because it doesn't like, oh, that doesn't happen when I open my, but I remember that happened and I'm like, I'm home. It's so nice to be home. And I'm like, I'm never leaving this kitchen. And like, as I, I went to school in British Columbia, so it was like a long drive, long flight home. And then I pastored in Winnipeg and I pastored in different parts of Ontario. So home was always far. But I always remember that pantry. There's this one jar. Anyone, any trail mix fans here? Anyone love trail? Okay, what's the best trail mix? Someone yell it to me. Yes! Who yelled Kirkland? That Costco Kirkland trail mix with like, they're off-brand M&Ms, but they're delicious. I don't know what they put in there. My mom always has this huge jar of stuff there. And like the first thing I do, and like my wife gets mad at me because like sometimes we'll be like unloading the car and we'll have all our stuff. She'll have the kid. I'm like, one second. And I will go and I will sit right on the counter and I'll open up that jar of Kirkland trail mix and I'll just take a handful, put the raisins back in, and then I will eat it. And that, to me, that says I am home. And being home is great. Being home is incredible. There's something about being at home where you feel comfortable, where you feel safe. Today we're going to be talking about the idea of homecoming. Not Spider-Man, but I do love Marvel stuff. I got my X-Men sweater. I got this on Boxing Day. I really like it. It's a little warm though, but I'm going to keep it on. We're talking about home. We're going to be talking about it this week and next week. And there's a, there's a passage in the Bible. Whenever I think of home, I think about it. It's found in Luke chapter 15. You've probably heard it before if you grew up in church like I did. Like, and if you didn't, I'm super glad you're here. And I'm more excited to talk to you about this than someone that may have heard the story before. But I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. His dad's a pastor. So I've heard the story a million times. What a cool part of the Bible is you can read something a thousand times. And if you read it a thousand and one times, you can get something new from it. So maybe as I start to read this, you like, oh, I know this story. Maybe you'll hear something new. Let's find out. Let's pray real quick, and then we're going to hop into the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you that even though it was written so long ago, it still rings true today. And thank you, God, that we have this opportunity to come together and just connect with each other and connect with you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So this is Luke chapter 15, verses 11, all the way up 
to 32. And we're going to cut it in half. We're going to do half of it today and half of it next week. Um, and this is called the parable of the lost son. And at this moment in Jesus' career, he's walking around and he's telling stories with people. People are asking him questions and he's answering it in stories, which I imagine could be frustrating at times because like, hey, give us a straight answer. And he's like, there was a man who, and then he goes off into this story. This is one of those stories. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But when he was still a long way away, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The story goes on that they throw this huge party for him, and they, they give him you give, give him a ring, they give him a robe, they give him sandals, or as I call, they give him the jewelry, the Jordans, and the jacket, and he got all this exciting stuff. And we're going to talk about that next week. This week, we're going to talk about one thing that until reading it this week when I was preparing, I never really asked myself this question. Because if you read this story, it's clear that this father has wealth. He's got money. He's got servants. He's got people, there's a famine in other parts of the land, but he's doing well. And I wonder, why did the son leave? He clearly had it pretty good. Why did he go to his dad and say, hey, dad, give me half of the estate? And then a side note, if you're not aware of the way that the culture was back then, that was probably the most insulting thing you could possibly do to your parent. Because essentially what happens is if you die, you leave a will to your kids, right? And what the son is saying is, hey, dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. Just give me what I'm going to get now because I kind of wish you were dead to me. I have no idea why the father gave into that, but he did. Um, and that's essentially what he's saying. But I look at that, and there's a lot of reasons that never really added up to me. Like, A, that removes the possibility for the father to get richer and give, leave the son with more. Like, why would you leave that situation? Clearly, he had it pretty good. But he decides to go to his dad one day. He's like, hey, dad, give me everything. I'm going to go. I'm going to party. I'm going to blow it on all the things. said he squandered it in wild living. And so it probably wasn't a G-rated experience. It was probably all over the place. And it was nuts. And I would always wonder, why did he go? And then and you get to know this character because he's clearly a consumer, right? Like he squandered his money. He wanted to buy all the cool things. He wanted to go to, to the expensive parties. And we realized that this guy at this moment is someone that's only looking for things for what he can get from them. And his relationship with his father ended up at a point where he's like, well, my dad, daddy's my, my paycheck. He's the person that foots the bill. He's the person that I can get things from him. So if I can get something from him, I'm just going to go because that's what I want. And he's like avid shoppers here. Not a lot in Saskatoon, eh? <laughs> Fantastic. I will admit, I, well, no, I don't shop. I like to hunt. 
My wife is a shopper. She likes the enjoyment of walking through the mall and touching every sweater. And I go, this one feels nice. This one feels nice. This one feels nice. They're all the same. They're just different sizes, honey. This one feels nice. And that's how she takes a while to shop. She enjoys the experience. Me, I want to get, I know, like, I will check online. I know exactly what stores of what sales. Like, I'm a big Boxing Day guy. I will finish my entire Boxing Day by, like, 10.30 in the morning, and I will get to three malls as they open. Like, I've, I've got it, I'm not joking, I've got it down to a science. Because I know what I want to go, because I go, I see, I want to get that, and I want to get out. And unfortunately, this son is looking at his relationship with his father, not for the experience of being close to his father, but what can he get from him? So he's eyeing an exit. Can I challenge you today? If your relationship with God is always eyeing to see what you can get from him, you will always be looking for a way out. You will never be satisfied with being in the moment because you will miss it. And what this son is doing, he's looking for an exit strategy. And for whatever reason, the father says, okay, fine, take it and go. I imagine it wasn't a one-time thing. He was probably sick of his son. He was probably kind of tired of him. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm a father, so I'm projecting. But he was probably like tired of him, annoying him all the time. He's like, fine, just take it and go. So he takes his stuff and he goes, and here's what happens. He has that consumer culture, right? And he goes headfirst into that, and he surrounds himself with a culture that's looking at him like he looked at his father. Right, because it says he squandered it in wild living. And anyone knows that if you show up to the right place with the right amount of money and the right clothes and the right, right swag and the right vibe, you can make a lot of friends really quickly. But as soon as that stack runs out, those friends run out. And we know his friends ran out because he had to hire himself out as a slave. So he ran headfirst into this culture that was a, a consumer culture. And what happened, it actually consumed him. And he found himself with nothing. Because he was so obsessed with getting what he could get from the world, he gave everything and received nothing in return. And then in, the, in this passage here, it's crazy. In verse 15 it says, He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, was sent to, and who, was sent, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. 16 says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this is a man that has tasted wealth, that has tasted riches, and he's literally looking at pig feed, thinking, oh, I wish I could eat that. And this is a side note. If you find yourself in a spot where you're far from God, you will long for things that were never meant to satisfy you. You will look at the things that are... that that. that in comparison to what the Father has for you are nothing, you will look for them and say, oh, I just really wish I had that. And that's what so much of our culture is, right? Because our culture is this spot where we're like, yeah, you know, we don't really need God anymore. We don't really want that, so we're going to walk away. And then we look at all the things that the world around us consumes and we think, that's what I need. That's what will fill me up. But the truth is, that's not designed for you. The fame, the success online, the look, the, that special guy, that special girl, the whole idea, the riches, everything that our world chases is not the thing that's designed to sustain you. But we look at that like this person's looking at these pigs and like, oh, I, if, if only I had that. And I imagine that it didn't start with like the feed for pigs. At first he was like, well, my father's rich. If only I had my own money. If I had my own way, I could live my own life. And then he goes and he chases one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And it gets lower and it gets lower. And eventually he's the point where he's like, ah, oh, maybe I can figure this out. Maybe I can do something a little bit different. And it says here he came to his senses. And I think he only partially came to his senses. Have you ever come to your senses before? Have you ever been like, oh, I'm dumb. 
That happens to me relatively regularly. Like, if you ever, like, want to feel stupid, try to put a car seat into a car that you just removed from that car. Like, if, you, if there's any parents here, or if you ever try that, there is nothing that will make you feel dumber than that. Because, like, I literally just unplugged all these things. Why is this now nine feet long, and this is only three inches, and this should, should not work? And, like, I kid you not, me and one of my friends, who is a father of three, we should know how to do this. We spent an hour and a half trying to figure out how to, like, plug in a car seat that we literally seconds before pulled out of another car. And then someone else, I think my wife was like, it's backwards. Like, and we're like, oh my goodness, like we came to our senses. He came to his senses in this moment. He was probably like, that pig food looks pretty good. He's like, ah. He's like, wait a second. My dad's really rich. And he comes to his senses and he has this conversation with himself. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Kylie, if you're around, do you want to hop to the keys? Can she hear me? Oh, she's right in the middle. She picked the absolute best place to sit. Sorry. This is why I say he only partially came to his senses. Because we know that this man is a consumer. We know that he had a transaction-based relationship with his father. At least that's what he thought, right? He thought, Dad, you exist to give me this. You exist, and, and if you can provide value to me, then I will take it. But if I don't think you're worth anything, I'm going to take what I can and go. And if we, you know anything about psychology and, and human behavior, is the things that we internalize as people, we project to other people. Right? We assume that because I view things this way, everyone views this way. If I treat people this way, I'm gonna, that's how people will treat me. That's why bullied people bully people. That's why hurt people hurt people. We project. And in this moment, it's this little bit of insight, but what's happening is he's actually projecting his transactional nature upon his father. He's actually saying to himself, well, what if I can just give something? To my dad? What if I can just go work for him? I'll just go be a slave. I know he takes care. My dad's a good boss. I remember when I was little, the people that would take care of our pigs, they actually got to eat. So if I can go and I know I can, I can feed pigs, I can work a little bit, I'm decently strong, maybe I can just do general labor for my dad. If I can provide that to him, maybe he'll give me some food. That's his thought process. Because he views everything in that transactional nature. And the truth is, often we do the exact same. Often, we feel like our standing with God is based on what we can offer God. Right, often we feel like, yeah, there's that moment where like, yeah, we want to kind of run away. We feel like we got everything we want from church. Maybe our youth group experience was great and now we're a little bit older. Maybe, maybe our parents raised us in the church. We're like, yeah, you know, I kind of did the church thing, so I'm going to walk away from it. And then maybe we start to feel like, ah, maybe I should go back to God, but what can I do? Why would God want me? Why would God, like, what can I offer God so that he would want to be in relationship with me? See, many of us think that, think that we can't offer anything to God, so why would he want us to come to him? We can find ourselves in this situation where we feel so lost, and we're like, yeah, like, 
but I've already messed up. So my daughter, she's, a, like, she's adorable. I will tell you, it is a challenge setting up a house, house with a three-year-old. She gets into everything. My wife is like the sweetest, kindest, gentlest human being in the world. And my daughter takes after me a thousand percent. So she's like chaos. Like she's ready. Like she already thinks she runs this church. I kid you not, it was Sunday morning. And Pastor Marvin introduced us this past week. And then I was sitting right in the front here. And she wanted to sit next to me. She's like, Mom, I want to with Dad. I'm like, oh, that's nice. She never wants to sit with me. Then she sees that I'm holding a microphone. And she's literally fighting my wife, trying to call up to steal the microphone so she can talk into it. This is mid-sermon. I don't think anyone noticed it but me. And the mic was off. But like, she thinks she runs this place. And then she's like running around. She's like... I want to go back to the back. And then she just sprints. She doesn't care. But that energy is hard to deal with sometimes when you're unpacking a house. But the cutest thing is she wants to help. She's terrible at building Ikea furniture. Like the worst. Like she's three, but come on. You're like, spin it this way, kid. But like she's bad at it. <laughs> she's not good at opening boxes. Like her, her motor skills just aren't there. She can't even type. She can't even spell. <laughs> she's three. I'm not really a mean person to make it a point here. But when she's like, Daddy, can I help you? I'm like, obviously you can help me. Why? Because I want her to be around me. I don't, she's not making my job easier. In fact, often she's making my job way more difficult. But I don't care. She's my kid. I love her. I want her to be around. See, sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that our relationship with God, especially if we find ourselves in the church world where we think, well, God only wants me because he only wants people that can sing. He only wants people that can preach. He only wants someone that's really, really good. If I were to go, I would just mess it up. I remember I had a conversation with a kid once at a youth camp, and he's like, I burn. He was putting on a fake Russian accent. I don't know why. He was from Paris, Ontario. And he's like, I burn if I go into church. I'm like, first of all, you're at a church camp. Your grandparents live here. Like, what are you doing? But there's this attitude of like, well, God wouldn't want me. I'll make it more difficult for him. It's like, well, yeah, obviously. As humans, we screw things up all the time. But he's our father and he wants to be with us. It's not actually about what we can bring to the table. It's about who we are. And it's about who he is. There's an awesome part in the story. So let's go back and he says, he said, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled him with compassion. He ran to his son around him and kissed him. You see, the, the son was expecting to explain to his dad, like, dad, I'm sorry. I messed up. I didn't, I didn't mean to do this. You guys seen the movie Encanto? Any Disney fans here? My daughter's seen that movie a thousand times this week. She loves it. And like, we don't talk about Bruno. You guys understand? Yeah, you get it? Okay. Yeah. There's a scene in that movie. There's this son that they kind of cast aside. And like, that's how much I've watched this movie. It's made it into my sermon prep. And there's a scene where he's, he's got this big speech in his head justified. Why is he going to explain why everything bad happened? And he ran. And what happens is his mom who pushes my story. Spoiler alert. It's been out for a while. And like, it's a kid's movie. Deal with it. She just interrupts him and just gives him a hug. And he's like, what's going on here? You see, the son is expecting something. He's expecting, and what we read says, his father saw him from a long way off. Do you know what that means? That means his father was waiting. 
That means his father was expecting. It means his father was hoping. It means that from the day that his son left, I'm willing to bet he was like, I really hope my boy comes back soon. Was there hurt involved? I'm sure there was. But from a long way off, and then here's what he did. He ran to him. He didn't see, he wasn't sitting there being like, I'm going to call the son Bruno just because I've watched Encanto a million times, and they don't give him a name. He wasn't like, is that Bruno? Let me see if he gets a little bit closer. I think that's him. Huh. He looks gross. He's all dirty. No, that's not what he did. It says he saw him from a long way off, and he's like, my son! And he gets up and he's excited and he runs to him and he, he doesn't say, you stink, you smell. No, he wraps his arms around him and he kisses him. Ew. Like no social distancing, like nothing, like, like no mask, like just like, I don't know. My dad's not a big kiss kind of guy. Like I'd be weirded out if I did that, but I think culturally it's okay. But he ran to him. Do you know what that means? It means that no matter how the son viewed the father, the view of the father towards the son did not change. No matter how you view God, even if you had a bad parent experience, if your view of God is distorted and you don't even want to believe in him anymore because something happened and you got hurt and maybe you got a transactional idea of who God is and you don't think God wants you because you don't think you can offer him anything or maybe you think that God could offer you something and you took it all and you ran away and you've been looking for the world to fill in where you're hungry but you know that doesn't satisfy. None of those things changes the way that God views you. Because he is waiting. Because the father is waiting for his son. He's waiting to embrace him. He's waiting for him to be home. Man, there's this weird, this weird meritocracy that we have in North America. And in, in the business world, it makes sense, right? In, in the school world, it makes sense. You work hard, you get paid, you do it. I get it. That's awesome. But in a family, you don't have that, right? Like, you guys are brothers. Which one's your parents' favorite? They all point to themselves. That's adorable. That means that all their parents love them so much that they think, there's no way they could love the other ones more than me. Oh, I made that into a nice moment, didn't I? You see, it doesn't matter what you achieve. He just wants you to be with him. Can I challenge you guys tonight? In 2022, can we decide to ditch the idea of a transactional God that is only in it for what he can get from you? Like, think about that for a second. How petty do we think God is if he only wants to be in relationship with us because what we can give him? How, like, what level of a bad father, like, I'm only gonna hang out with my toddler if she can build this Ikea furniture? And the difference between my ability and my toddler's ability to build Ikea furniture is way closer than our ability, the best we could do, and what God has. You see, what God wants for us is to just be with him. He doesn't care. If you feel like you don't have anything to offer him, if you've got something, great. But if you don't, that's okay. Like, we're called children of God. We're never called employees. We're never called, like, yeah, we use the word servant, but that's like because we're actively in the act of service. But like, when you read the Bible, it's not like, oh yeah, like, oh, Jesus loves the little employees, everyone in his division. Like, no, like, that's not how it works. 
Say, I am a child of God. I'm knit together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. None of these things change based on our perspective, but our perspective can shift the way we interact with it. So if we can shift away from a transactional view of God and realize that he is our father and he loves us and he wants to welcome us home, what if we started this new year with that? What if we started this new year being like, you know what? I don't even know if I can make it all the way, but I'm gonna take a couple steps. I don't know if I have the energy because I'm tired and I, and I feel lost and I feel alone. I don't know. But the good part is the Father is waiting for you. And if he sees you step towards him, he will run to meet you with arms that are open. So let me put it. And if, if you're coming, can we stand here today? Is that all right? Can we stand across this place? Can we do that? Can I ask you to stand? Awesome. Here's what I want to challenge us to do, because I'm going to pray in a moment. I get pretty excited sometimes when I preach, and it's been a while since I preached, so I'm sorry if my ADD gets the best of me. But here's what I, I dare you to do this. I honestly dare you. I dare you to commit for the next 30 days to wake up and think, how can I take another step back home towards God today? And that's it. Don't feel like you need to prove anything to him. Don't feel like you need to earn it. Just say, hey, I am his daughter, I am his son, I know he loves me, just by speaking that in the morning will change the way that you look at that. Because if you identify yourself as a child of the king, you will not go after the food that the pigs are eating. Right? If you understand who you are, you will not try to sustain yourself with the things that were never meant for you. You will come to your senses and you will come back home. So we're gonna sing this song called Homecoming. It's fantastic, I love it. It's the first song that I heard in this auditorium when I came here to interview, so it's kinda of cool for me. I'm gonna pray, and listen, if that's you, I challenge you to sing this out over your life. I challenge you to make a declaration, to commit to the long journey home, and let me promise you, it's never as long as you think. Because even if you feel like you've been walking away from God, he's been right there just waiting for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your arms are wide open. We thank you, God, that no matter how messed up and how lost we can find ourselves, God, that you are always welcoming us home. God, that we are never shunned from you. God, that you will never abandon us. You will never leave us or forsaken us. But God, in our worst moment, in our lowest, God, you loved us enough to die for us. And God, I pray that we know in this moment that even if we haven't fully walked away from you, but we've let attitudes run astray and we viewed you as transactional and we've let parts of our lives find us in a way where we're trying to satisfy them with the things that are not of you, I pray in this moment, God, we will come to our senses and we will journey towards you. God, not so we can provide something to you, but God, so we can be in your presence. God, not so you can give us presence, but God, so we can experience your presence. In your holy name we pray, amen.